So you meet a woman online. I love her. I just love her. But it turns out thousands of other people are in love with her too. Janessa Brasil. Janessa Brazil. Janessa Brazil. One woman's image is being used by criminals to target innocent people looking for love online. You win their hearts, you win their wallets. Love, Janessa. My wild quest to find her. The unwitting human face of a digital con from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. This is a CBC podcast. An actor known for his role in the 1990s film Dances with Wolves is facing charges of sexual assault in both Canada and the United States. Those charges against Nathan Chasing Horse in the U.S. stem from complaints by two women. Las Vegas police also allege he's the leader of a cult called The Circle. He has pleaded not guilty to all charges. Women in Canada have also come forward with allegations. And in a new CBC Fifth Estate investigation, host Mark Kelly looks into who Nathan Chasing Horse is and why these allegations against him were overlooked for so long. Mark is with me in our Toronto studio. Mark, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Tell us a little bit about Nathan Chasing Horse. Who is he? Well, I, th- I think would probably be recognized by most of the listeners that he was a, a young actor in the Kevin Costner movie Dances with Wolves, mm. which ended up being a smash success. Huge hit, yeah. And he was just a kid. He's 13, 14 years old when he lands the role of Smiles a Lot. And that starts the profile. And the profile starts to build over time. He starts to become a, a bit of an Indigenous icon, going around to schools, talking to, to young Indigenous kids about embracing their identity, being proud of who they are. But also his father says that he's a descendant of Crazy Horse, that he is a sacred spirit who's been sent to help heal the the spirits of Lakota people. Um, And he then becomes a self-proclaimed medicine man, a spiritual healer, somebody who would perform uh, healing ceremonies at at, at powwows and ceremonies as he traveled North America. One of his helpers said that they would travel up to 100,000 kilometers a year through Canada and the U.S. performing these healing ceremonies. But it's important to say he was a self-proclaimed medicine man. Some people did not actually believe he had those powers. But that put him in a position of trust. And that's what he had as he went from community to community, dealing with people who came to him looking for spiritual guidance. What are the charges that he's facing in the United States? Well, they're serious. 18 counts uh, of sex crimes, including 10 counts of sexual assault with a minor under the age of 16, six counts of sexual assault, one count of kidnapping a minor. Uh, The Las Vegas Police uh, Department, their arrest report says he was grooming young girls from a young age, girls that came to him again in a position of trust. Uh, He would betray them by sexually assaulting them, forcing them to have sex with other men, and then recording this on a cell phone. Uh, FBI have filed charges against him as well. Two counts of sexual exploitation of a child, possession of child pornography. Serious, serious charges. As we mentioned, he has pleaded not guilty to these charges. How has he responded, Nathan Chasing Horse? How has he responded to those allegations? He has explained it that uh, through his lawyer, that these were actually, was a transactional situation, that these, these, these women were coming to him for spiritual guidance and he would ask for an offering and that offering he would ask for in this case would be sex. Mm. So he doesn't consider this a crime. In his opinion, what, what was done was consensual, entirely consensual. His lawyers now appealed the charges against him to the Nevada Supreme Court and they're trying to get this whole case dismissed. In addition to those charges, as I said in the introduction, police in Las Vegas have also said that he's the leader of a 
cult. Tell me about this cult, The Circle. Yeah, it's a fascinating view into uh, this subculture. As, as he went around to these powwows and these ceremonies across North America, he started drawing believers, people who did believe that he was the sacred spirit. And through that, he started to gather people that he called The Circle. They were families. They were men. They were women. People who would support him. People who would eventually, in some cases, start to move to Las Vegas, where he had a few houses there. And they would live this strict life of service and obedience to him. We were talking to uh, some of the people who were involved in this, and, and, and they would support him financially. We, we met a, a woman named Pam Bird. She's from Edmonton. She was a corrections officer. She was part of the 60s scoop. Mm. She grew up in a non-Indigenous household. She meets Nathan Chasinghorse. She'd married a guy, and, and they had gone to the medicine man, as he was known, to get his blessings for their marriage, for their union. And she participated in a ceremony that he was giving. And she said, you know, because she'd come from this non-Indigenous background, she sat in in one of his ceremonies and was fascinated by what she saw. To take a listen. You know, rattles, lights, and this beautiful show that I just, you know, your heart when you don't come from ceremony, you don't come from uh, a traditional background or no one's ever shown you. I'm just like this non-Native. Wow looking at everything, just amazed by it. How beautiful. I want to be a part of this. And she was a part of this for 13 years. She was a member of the circle. Tell me more about that and how, what that life was like for her. It was, as, as she described it, it was, it was a life of service and sacrifice, mm. that she would do everything that she could to help Nathan Chasing Horse and his helpers as they traveled what was some called the powwow trail, going to these ceremonies across North America, to the point that she says she gave up more than $200,000 over more than a decade of money that she was giving him to provide them with whatever they need. She gave them two cars, she says, mm. because she said that they were constantly asking Nathan Chasing Horse and his helpers constantly asking for money. But she also lived an indentured existence there because she believed in the fact that he was a medicine man. That he had that power that and authority. That he had that power and authority that could help her live a better life, but could also hurt her if in any way that she uh, disobeyed or betrayed him or wasn't loyal to him. So even before she talked to us, Matt, she was afraid that he still has this power over her mm. before she agreed to give us an interview. And that's something she's still struggling with today and something that she believes to this day, he still has that power over. Take a listen. He put a lot of fear in me, a lot of fear that behind closed doors, I would just be so enraged by the control that I allowed them all to have because I had so much fear when I look back at it now. And that ends up being really what happens for so many people who were drawn into this circle is they couldn't feel that they could get away from him or that the power that they believed he held over them. Let me bring another voice into this conversation to talk more about that in particular. Marina Crane is an elder from the Tsutina Nation. It's southwest of Calgary. Marina, good morning to you. Good morning. Tell me when you first met Nathan Chasinghorse. I met him on the movie set, Bury My Heart, It Wounded Me. I was a language consultant with my late mother. What, what did you make of him? What were your first impressions of him? I found him to be very shy, very insecure. Given that, and given just how you saw him, what led to a deeper relationship, if I can put it that way, with him? Why did you hold him a bit closer? When you're on the movie set and people in the community know you're on the movie set, 
they flocked to me, like my family were flocking to me, wanting to get on the set. One was my, my brother and the other one was my niece. Mm. So I brought them on set. And in turn, uh, my brother invited him out because my brother said, oh, he does, he does sweats. Tell me more about that. Mark t- talked about how he was in many ways a, a self-proclaimed medicine man. What does that phrase mean to you? Self-proclaimed? Like, my brother could be self-proclaimed. And, of course, a lot of uh, young men do self-proclaim their medicine men. To me, it just doesn't mean, like, they're medicine people. Hmm. What was your relationship with, with those ceremonies? Did you participate in those ceremonies? or? Yes, I participated in all, all of the six ceremonies, and I believe a couple of his sweats as well. Hmm. When did you start to have concerns about, about who he was, but also what he was doing in your community? Well, it was the allure that he had on women and girls, and as my brother said, even, even men. I just thought it was because he represented Hollywood. He represented money. He represented, you know, let's associate with him so we could get somewhere. What really alarmed you about Nathan Chasing Horse's behavior in your community? Well, the girls disclosing to their mother, oh, I've never felt this way before. This guy can really understand me. Like, I'm glad the the child spoke to the mom, but there were so many different people who were participating. Like, my niece, um, she participated, but her relationship with Nathan was totally different than the moms and daughters because Nathan would would, uh, spend time over at my brother's and sleep over there, which to me was a bit strange because he was working on the movie set. He already had a room in town. If you don't mind me asking, and I know it's difficult, but what specifically happened between him and your niece? Like, I I was doing a lot of PR trying to raise money through the nation because there were band members that were participating. And um, she came in as I'm typing on my computer, and she saw these images of Nathan because he was on Cowboys and Indian Magazine. And she was standing there, and she started talking to me about the clothes she was wearing and how Nathan had bought all these clothes for her. And I said to her, Do you, you know, he does have a girlfriend and he has children. And she said to me, but he doesn't love them. And she said, he, he told me that he only has sex with me because he loves me. I'm paraphrasing, but the point of it is that she said that, that he had disclosed to her that he loved only her. Do you think that, that he was a predator in the community? Yes, because I think it was my... I have to be very specific, my indigenous matriarchal intuition. I know it's such a big word, but I just want to stress indigenous women's intuition. And your niece was how old at that time that she was interacting with him? 15 years old. She was 15, yes. Just to be clear, the age of consent at that time was 14. But when you became alarmed by this, you mentioned you had that intuition. What did you do with that information? Well, she ran out the door. By the time I got to the door, she was already on the phone with Nathan, and I thought, I have to get help. I got in the car, and I drove to a lady here who's, who lived in Sutena, who was a therapist. And so I went to her for support so she could be there when I disclosed to the tribal police. And what happened with that information? When you disclosed it, as you said, to the tribal police, what happened? It took a, a few months for me to disclose. Mm. But when I did go to the tribal police, rather than concealing my identity or trying to help me, they told me to call him and ask him to stop off at the tribal police office for a few questions they had. 
What did you hope that the police would do with your allegations? I was hoping, like I, like I knew enough about disclosure, you know, it's the law. And so I thought that they would call him in. I thought I would remain anonymous. I thought they'd question him and then they'd question my niece. Why do you think that that didn't happen? Why do you think that, that people didn't take those allegations seriously? I, I just don't think they had um, training to handle or understand how to write a report on sexual assault. Because if you're trained and you have the jurisdictional power to make arrests, you, you would know that it's the law because you're a law officer that's supposed to you know, obey the law in any kind of disclosure. Whether or not it's true or false, there's certain protocols. That's what I expected, and that's what didn't happen. What about now, when you take a look at the fact that, that there are these charges have been laid, but also this investigation that we're talking to Mark about? Given what you raised, how are you feeling about that now? Well, there's no retribution. Um, things have happened. It's, my niece is dead. She died from an overdose. Like, how can the tribal police ever correct what they did? You know, they, they came in the spring to apologize. You know, uh, okay, I accept your apology. What's done was done. You let this man walk away. You let this man come into my community for 17 years and did nothing. So now they're very, they're, they're taking it very serious. A lot of these reports, they have you know, opened up the investigation, have charged him. That intuition that you felt earlier on, I mean, in some ways it feels as though it might have been vindicated. I tried to help this man because in, in our custom, it's making good relatives. That's how I was raised. You know, you talk about these people who don't have any understanding of what it's like to live in an Indigenous community, how you were raised in a traditional Sioux, Sioux uh, lifestyle. He, he knew that. He knew the customs. He knew I was familiar with it. He knew my mother knew them, and he took advantage. Marina, I'm glad to talk to you about this. Thank you very much for speaking with us. You're quite welcome, and thanks for asking. I appreciate it. Marina Crane is an elder from the Tsutana Nation. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of The Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at The Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart, and for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. Mark Kelly from the Fifth Estate is with me. He's been listening in. It's quite something. It's heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, and this, this really cuts to the, to, to the heart of this story, Matt, which is uh, people who were, had concerns about Nathan Chasing Horse, people who felt he was a predator, people who had their own lived experiences that were coming forward to authorities to, to warn, uh, to complain about what he was doing to young girls in these communities, in many communities across Canada, our, our investigation has revealed, and they weren't listened to. 
And to, to hear this coming from Marina, who, who was shouting from the rooftops. An elder who trusted her intuition. Who yeah. trusted her intuition and just felt that people, as she, she told us in an interview, was just deaf ears, that people were not listening to her as, as much as she was trying to make this point. And, and she wasn't alone. So she was talking about that period when he, when he was in Sutina, mm. uh, Nathan Chasinghorse, uh, shooting the, this film, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Well, that's when a 15-year-old named Nicole Big Crow met him. She was somebody who was really trying to reconnect with her own indigenous identity. She had this hunger to get into some of these ceremonies, the sweat lodges, the uh, the Uipi ceremonies that, that she was mentioning, to strengthen her bonds with her roots. And she reached out to Nathan Chasing Horse to say, are you doing, can I take part in more of your ceremonies? And, and she told us a story that she's never shared publicly before hmm. about how they left to go to a ceremony. And instead of in the car together, instead of going left, he went right. And instead of going to the sweat lodge where they were supposed to be going to, he took her to a remote part of the community and she says that she was sexually assaulted there and would happen uh, two more times in the community. She would then later go forward to the police. Her, her own stepfather was a member of the Sutina police force to file a complaint against him in 2009. And the police at that time said that there was nothing that they could do because there wasn't enough evidence. But we went back to the school uh, where she first met Nathan Chasinghorse. He was invited into the school to speak to students there. And as she looked at that school, she was crushed by the experience of what had happened to her and the fact that the police never listened to her story. Yeah, he ruined my, he, he ruined my life. I wish I knew better, but he ruined my life here. This is where I'm supposed to be safe. I'm supposed to graduate, I'm supposed to have education. But instead I got, nobody understood what I was going through. She says, nobody understood what I was going through. Mm -hmm. And she, she was 15 years old at the time, mm. Matt. And, and I, I wanna mention as well, um, she has come forward. She came forward in 2009. She's come forward again to the Sutina police who have now laid charges against Nathan Chasing Horse. But there's a publication ban and, and Nicole Big Crow applied to have that publication ban lifted because she wanted her name out there. She wanted to be on the record to say that she was victimized by Nathan Chasing Horse. And she wanted her story told because she also wanted to give power to other women that she feels that she knows are out in the community that she says were also sexually assaulted, who tried to come forward with their stories and their stories weren't heard. What was happening, and again, we heard this from Marina, but what was happening with, with the allegations that were being made? What did authorities do with those allegations? They investigated the uh, allegations, but they said that there wasn't enough evidence. Mm. And what we saw is that this happened in Carameos, BC with, with another woman. This happened in Saskatoon with another woman. Women who came forward to speak to the police, and these were all dismissed as he said, she said allegations. And it took the case and the arrest in Las Vegas for the Canadian authorities to start connecting the dots. And once they did that, then you had the sort of swath of legal charges that are being leveled against Nathan Chasing Horse in this country. But of course, it begs the question, why wasn't this done before? Yeah. And, and, as, and some of these women said, why weren't we believed? And, and that's really at the core of our investigation. And he did have supporters in band council level and in the community as well. And celebrity as well. And celebrity yeah. power. And, and that really protected him for years until women started breaking their silence and coming forward. What happens next with Nathan Chasing Horse here in this country? 
Well, here in this country, speaking to uh, the police here, they're waiting to see what's going to happen down in the U.S. As I mentioned, mm. he's now, he's appealed the charges against him. He's trying to get the case dismissed, saying that uh, that this was all consensual sex that was had. So authorities here are waiting to see what will, will transpire in the U.S. And the feeling is, uh, sources have told us that they doubt he would be extradited here, but that's going on the belief that, that he would be convicted in the U.S., and he may not be. Because, I mean, there are serious charges, but it's a different justice system. It's a different justice system down there. And that's the issue that women are having here in Canada. First is the fact that they, they, they felt that they weren't believed when they came forward with their story and that they're not going to have their own day in court in Canada. And that's been part of the problem as they seek to find some kind of closure with this long-running saga. They just feel that they don't have it yet. We'll look for more on The Fifth Estate tonight. Mark, thank you very much. Thanks, Matt. Mark Kelly is co-host with The Fifth Estate. His investigation, Surviving the Circle, airs tonight at 9 p.m. on CBC Television and CBC Gem, and you could watch it this afternoon on YouTube. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.